Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about my YouTube channel and what's been going on over there. This year, I've been testing different kinds of content and publishing content and not publishing content to see what would happen, both algorithmically and just in a, in a general sense, uh, part, part of it was for sanity. We'll also hit some questions sent in by, actually at least just one question sent in by readers, listeners, viewers, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I'll just get into it. I will ramble on later in the episode. Don't worry about that. So one thing with YouTube is I got started back in, I guess, technically when you go all the way back, 2014, that sort of time range. And I wanted to do videos because I was learning from people doing videos. And that's kind of where I saw myself going. I found it very stressful. It was very hard for me to do. These videos are still out there and they are, I mean... They're, they're rough. They're really rough around the edges, but they're still out there if you go back to the very early videos. And you'll also notice there's a huge gaps of time. So I would do like one video and then six months would go by and then maybe like one more would come out, maybe another one the following week, and then there'd be another huge gap. In around 2017 or so, I decided, oh shoot, it may have been 2016, but regardless, early one year, I decided I was going to do more YouTube videos. And I just committed to do live streams and I was going to do one per week and just really push through. As time went on, I realized that I needed to up my video quality game and just the production value. So I added an editor because I wasn't particularly good at editing video and it would take me a very long time. I was okay editing, but I never put in the time and that's not my, that's not where I can add value. So I pulled back from that, got a video editor and focused on content that people were asking me about content that I knew was valuable and just published a lot of videos. And over time, I got a little bit better. <laughs> I think I have over 1,100 videos out there and I think I've done, you know, multi, multi-hundred live streams. So very, thank goodness, more comfortable in front of the camera now, but I still get butterflies every now and then. All that to say, at some point, once I refined what I was doing and I refined the process. I was publishing content where I knew it was keyword driven. I knew these videos were better and they were answering questions that people wanted to know about. I started to get burned out. And this is pretty typical on the YouTube side with all of sort of social media or anything where publishing more and more content gives you better results. You end up with people that get you know, burnt out. And a lot of times with YouTube, you'll see people, I think it's typical with podcasts too, but YouTube especially, it's very visible. You will see people that publish, you know, a handful of videos and then quit. People that continue on and push through, they'll publish more videos. Usually they'll get some amount of traction. And as they become more successful, they'll want to publish more videos and figure out like how to do more. The problem with that is the burnout. You just end up publishing videos that you think you should publish based on analytics, based on other information, and then you end up in an unsustainable situation. You can't keep publishing as much and be sane or be happy. And I'm, I've actually been very good since I started working for myself to pull back, like what, what is my real goal here? Like, what am I trying to do? Is this getting me closer to my ideal day or week or month? And if it's not, then I'll usually pull back. And that happened, it's happened a couple of times, but towards the end of last year, 2019, I was kind of getting burned out. I took basically December off and I decided, you know what? I'm not having a super awesome time creating these YouTube videos. I'm just going to do interviews. I'm doing those for the podcast. I really enjoy the conversations and I'm just going to publish these like long form interviews and just stick to it. I'm going to, 
I'm going to be able to sustainably do that while enjoying it. And then there's going to be enough uh, publishing on YouTube that I'm not like totally neglecting it. And throughout the whole year, I've published, I think, at least one video per week. Usually, I mean, if you averaged it out, and I haven't even looked at this, but I think if you averaged it out, I think I've probably published at least one video per day. Maybe a little spotty here and there, but there were certain days where I just published, you know, several videos that could be off. So don't fact check me on that. One thing that I do to take advantage of the fact that I do long form interviews and a lot of people on YouTube do not want to watch 45 minutes. They want to watch, you know, four to 12 minutes, something like that. I had my editor chop up a long form interview into shorter clips. This is not an original idea. I watched uh, many Joe Rogan videos that were like this. And I was like, well, if he, you know, if he's doing this, maybe that's a better way as I was getting, you know, comments. Hey, Doug, these videos are too long. Make shorter videos. Of course, you know, people are complaining about free material. So I, I can't do, can't do everything for everyone. But I was like, you know what? I don't think I can publish shorter like interviews because the meat of the interview takes a little while to get to, but maybe we can do the clips. I did that for many, many months. I can't remember how long I've been doing those, but if you do a 50 minute interview, if you do uh, around an hour or so, you're probably going to get, you know, five to seven clips, something like that, depending on the segments and what makes sense to divide it up. It almost doesn't matter. You, you kind of just, I mean, I don't even give instructions to my editor. I'm just like, Hey, cut this up into, you know, six to 12 minute clips, something like that. And then I just get them uploaded automatically and I don't have to do anything. Very streamlined process, very fast. I don't have to do any additional work. And then my other VA will in, insert uh, links and, and do the description and any of the other admin stuff on, on the YouTube side. So I was wondering if publishing those clips was actually detracting um, and hurting the channel. There's a theory out there that when you publish a video, you should let it be for a little while and not publish anything immediately afterwards so that your subscribers will go see that most recent video and then they'll watch that. Some people refer to it as like giving a video breathing room. So you publish it and you let it hang out versus publishing, you know, multiple pieces of content per week or multiple per day even. So I stopped publishing somewhere in the middle of June, those clips. And I mean, I knew some people were watching those clips and I don't monetize all of my videos. In fact, it's probably around 25% of the videos, maybe less, very few, very few. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit too. The point is I stopped publishing those videos and it was very minor, but I didn't really notice if my views went down or if they stayed the same or anything like that. Very minor. However, once a couple months went by, I was able to back out of the data, zoom out rather, and see, okay, here's the number of views that I had during this period. Here's the number of views and watch time. I, I believe watch time is probably a little more valuable, but it just depends on, I mean, they work in conjunction with each other, but I really care about the watch time as well. So with that said, I zoomed out and actually Ron Stefanski showed me some reports that he refers to on the YouTube side. The analytics are fantastic, but they changed um, some of the the screens and the studio behind the scenes there. So I didn't know how to compare um any data compared to historical data. So I was like, Ron, what, what do you do here? So he showed me what to do. And sure enough, there were enough people watching the video clips to make it worthwhile. Like many pieces of content, most of them are average to unfortunately below average for these clips. However, sometimes depending on like what the content was and the title and the thumbnail, some of these clips would get you know, hundreds, thousands of views, it, they would get more views than the original video, which is interesting. And the point is, it does make sense to publish those clips. 
So I continue doing it. And, you know, part of it is like th- there's a core set of true fans out there that watch all the videos, even the dumb vlogs where there's one where I'm like swimming with my dog in the pool. There's some under- underwater footage. It's actually pretty cool. Um, but the point is there's some people who watch all the videos and then there's some people who just, you know, catch the the fun ones out there. So you, you don't know like exactly which one's going to pop. So you just kind of, you know, continue publishing, hoping <laughs> that the right ones are going to surface. So that's been cool. And just to realize like, hey, publishing clips is a good idea. On a similar note, I had been publishing these podcast episodes just with audio. It just has the thumbnail and some people only use YouTube. They only consume content on YouTube. There's music on there. You can watch like news, comedy, there's TV shows. You have podcasts that are video and you have people that are publishing podcasts with just audio. So just as a rule, I was publishing them over on the YouTube side. And again, I was like, I'm not really sure if, is this detracting from the overall channel because it's just a mess of different, different content. You know, maybe someone subscribes to my channel and they want to watch tutorial videos, but now they're getting all these stupid podcasts with like no video. So it's like not a match. Then other side of the coin, some people are listening to podcasts. They don't want to see the videos. They just want to listen to the podcast, maybe while they're working out. I I don't know um, all the different ways people can consume content, but people listen to the videos on YouTube. So I've gotten, you know, probably tens of thousands of, of views on my podcast episodes, which is kind of strange. Anyway, same deal. I was kind of unsure if I should keep publishing those and I stopped. I have not gone back to start publishing those either. I am still, you know, logging them over there and there, there are a bunch of videos ready to be published and I just, I'm not sure what to do. Looking at the data, I can see that some of the podcast episodes get thousands of views as well. No video, they still get thousands of views. And I think it's because of the title. I think it's the topic area. So if you got a sexy title, you got a sexy headline, people will check it out. So I haven't gone back to it because I've slowly been adding things back into it. Uh, meaning I'm publishing more videos that are not videos and other videos that I wasn't sure if they were helping the channel or hurting the channel. So all that said, I think there's another set of folks that, again, true fans are going to listen to the podcast on the YouTube side as well. So kind of crazy, but it does happen. Another piece of the puzzle here is live streams. So I got a little burned out with some of the live streams just because, unfortunately, it was not high quality. It was not a high quality set of the audience. So cool people like a lot of the folks that listen to this show actually do show up for the live streams on YouTube. Pretty fun. I mean, I dig them. I think I've really upgraded the production value. I'm using my DSLR. I have a much better lighting setup and the new office is really laid out to do videos like this, especially live streams. So I've continued on with it. I've, in the last month or two, I've been bringing on people live to basically mix it up a little bit. The unfortunate part with um, YouTube is people's attention spans are very short. Also, I think there's a lot of morons on there. I'll be honest. Um, There's a lot, there's billions of people that I think that consume content on YouTube. So I'm not really going that far out there to say that there's a lot of morons when the sample size is large enough, like you can't help it. So anyway, people will come in and I can't blame them. You know, they see one of my videos, maybe they're watching a video and they see Doug's on live. I'm going to go check it out. And then they ask like some of the most basic questions that maybe they should have, um, you know, just Googled, but they're talking to me live. So it's a little rough because that could be the only interaction. They could have just found one video of mine and then they bounced over. So I do have to be careful. I'm conscious of this. I can't be just a total asshole and and make fun of somebody if they're just asking a legit question. A lot of times you can see that someone's like asking a normal question 
maybe they are just a beginner. And I can usually tell by the way it's phrased. Sometimes um, people are a little more rude or they'll keep asking the same question over and over again. So that's kind of a, a sign to me that they are a moron. I do love the live streams though, and I'm trying to figure out better ways to make them enjoyable for me because it does need to be sustainable. Again, if I'm if I'm doing something I don't enjoy, I'm probably going to remove it. I'm going to remove it. And there have been periods of time where I just go on hiatus with the live streams because they're not super enjoyable. One thing that I have tried that people uh, typically resist <laughs> is I'll have a set topic for the live stream and then I'll try and go through that material. But then again, if someone's a moron, they may not realize, hey, this is completely off topic and I'm just going to ask it in the middle of this um, presentation. So I still have to watch out for it. And I mean, I'm if I'm emceeing the thing, like I have to control it. I usually don't um, have a pr producer or anyone watching the chat. So I'm just managing the whole thing. I like it to be easy and I, you know, it's not like I'm making money directly from doing a live stream. So I'm not, uh, not super enthused to like, bring on a producer. Although I have, when I knew I was going to have some very large live streams, I would have a, um, a producer help me monitor the chat, feed me questions, kick people out and do all that sort of thing. I also have, you know, moderators in, in the crowd, but they're not always able to, to join the live streams. So moving on another area that is interesting is I, I noticed that some bigger, bigger channels, that push out a ton of content like Gary V, for example, which I haven't watched any of his stuff in probably over a year, but he was publishing six, eight hour mashups of maybe keynote presentations. Maybe they were other pieces of just long form content that he was putting together. So instead of publishing, you know, one, one hour keynote, he was publishing huge long videos. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. Cause I know my long form videos, they're like an hour, but some people watch them. So I thought, well, what if I do a mashup and I have, you know, success stories and I have that going on for an hour or so. And we're sorry, not just an hour. I put four of them together. So I have four hours or so. So I published a few of those and I saw, wow, not a ton of people watch them, but enough people watch them where it's not a throwaway video. It's virtually like no work for me. I shoot maybe a one minute to two minute intro and then I just put all the videos together and then I don't have to do anything else. I keep it as simple as possible. What I have noticed, and there was someone who asked a, a comment over on the YouTube side, they, they were like, oh yeah, I'm really curious. Like, does anyone watch these? Like it, it gets what seems to be a pretty low a number of views. But the thing is, the people that watch it watch so much more. So I think if you look at the percentage, it's very low as far as uh, viewer retention, but people will watch like the whole video. So I published one that was about f a little over five hours and people will work on the weekends or, or whenever they're working and they'll just have that on the, in the background sort of as inspiration, which I mean, that could be a little distracting for some people, but for other folks, they enjoy it. That said, I was looking at the total amount of watch time from one of my short videos that was very well received with a high number of views. And I would compare that to these long form videos where I mean, maybe it's only a hundred people that watched the whole thing, but they just watched five hours. So I don't know what YouTube does <laughs> with that data, but they, they are seeing that some people watch a huge amount of my channel. So essentially when I, when I peel it all back, I see that I'm giving content, I'm providing content to people that want long form, they want short form, they want uh, mashups, they want to get tutorials, they want the live stream. So there's a wide range and people can gravitate to whichever one that they they prefer. And the, the wisdom, like the common wisdom is, hey, Duck, why don't you create other channels? Why don't you separate things out? After all, Joe Rogan has a clips channel and then he has a main channel. So it's separated. Well, 
I thought about doing that. In fact, I created a clips channel and I, I talked about it a little bit and I, I think I ended up getting like five or six subscribers. And I also set up a podcast channel too, because I thought, well, I want to segment out this content so people can find and subscribe to the content that they want to receive and they don't get the stuff that they don't want to receive. And I, I set it all up one afternoon. I think I was procrastinating a little bit because that's not really a high priority thing. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to check out just a couple other people, bigger channels to see what they've done. The The flaw in the logic when you're, when you're looking like, hey, all right, Joe Rogan does this or Bill Burr does this for their podcast. They are huge. They've had podcasts for many years. The market was totally different. The audiences were different. They're also um, on TV. They are very, very much in a different position than me. So the flaw when you look at what other people are doing is it works for them. You can't just copy them and expect the same results. And I, I have to remind myself that it's great to get ideas from other places, test those ideas, see how it works out. But I, I don't expect to get the same results. I went over to Pat Flynn's channel because he's been doing a lot more video in the last like year, year and a half. He's been doing live streams, I think every day since the pandemic and quarantining started, something like that. And I noticed that he had Eclipse channel too. He has around 200,000-ish subscribers to his main channel. And then I saw that he had, I think it was under 5,000. It may have been like 2,000 on the Clips channel. So once I saw that, I realized, oh, if I create a Clips channel, no one's going to care. Very few people are going to subscribe to that channel. It won't be monetizable because I won't have enough views and enough subscribers and, and it just didn't look like a good idea. So at that point, I deleted the podcast channel and I deleted the clips channel because turns out YouTube is pretty darn smart. I consume a ton of YouTube videos and you think about this yourself if you're a consumer on YouTube, you maybe subscribe to a channel, but you don't really watch many of the videos. Maybe a couple of videos are suggested, you don't go for it. And then YouTube stops suggesting those videos. They don't put those videos up. However, maybe you're not subscribed to my channel. However, you watch many of the videos and there's sort of a recency bias. They know if you've been watching a lot of videos on affiliate marketing and SEO, they're going to show you and suggest more videos in that topic area. If you're watching a ton of videos by one creator, say Alex Cooper over at WP Eagle or maybe my videos, then you're going to see a lot more suggested videos from those channels in the topic areas that you're interested in. YouTube has a ton of data and their algorithm is so smart. I don't even think they really care if you're subscribed to channels. It's purely a vanity metric in my opinion at this point. Sure, some no notifications may go out, but in my opinion, it's it's more important. Like, are people watching your videos? Do they watch more than one of your videos? And then are they biting? Are, are they actually clicking over to one of your videos when they are suggested? And if they are, and they're watching the videos and there's some positive interaction, you're probably gonna get more views through suggested videos. So all that to say, when I took a step back, I realized I can't copy other people that are much larger than me. I'm not going to get the same results. And if I am just getting people to watch the videos and maybe watch another one, like that's really important. The other thing is I want to keep things simple. And the more channels I have, the more complicated it is. Yeah, I have a VA who would be able to, you know, get access to everything, but there's just like more moving pieces, more admin, no more overhead for maybe very little to no advantage. Which brings me to another bigger topic is I make very little from YouTube. I don't even make enough from YouTube ads to cover the editing and to cover my VA's admin expenses. However, there's there's great value in it, but it's not quantifiable in that ROI, right? You You can't see that I'm ROI positive by publishing YouTube videos. However, it does build trust. People find my 
my brand, people find my material, and then they'll come over and they'll hopefully buy something, which this is the, the bigger point here. On the YouTube side, it's great to build trust, teach people in a, in a medium that they want to learn in. And sometimes, you know, it, it's really hard to teach, say, keyword research with a podcast over audio. It just, it doesn't uh, add up, not add up, but it doesn't, um, th- there's a lot more nuance the video can bring out. And it, it turns out, you know, video is great and I enjoy it is the other part. Now, I make, you know, more money, enough money to pay for the editor and the VA by selling courses and offering up affiliate offers with, you know, companies that do things that I don't do, or maybe it's a software company like Amalinks Pro or Lasso or whatever. So there's a lot of, you know, other ways to monetize and actually earn money and make it worthwhile to have a YouTube channel, which, I mean, this whole thing is like, you know, me trying to figure out how to optimize publishing content so that the the YouTube channel can grow. People are seeing videos that help bring them closer to the brand and we build a relationship through, you know, these videos that I'm publishing. And I mean, I need to be able to make money. I need to be able to make money. Otherwise, again, it is not sustainable. So when, for example, on YouTube, again, some people are a little, little uh, I don't know, a little pushy. They want, they want more. They're like, why don't, why don't you just give all the material away for free? Why do you even have courses? Like, like you should just give it away. Information is free. And there's a couple of pieces to the puzzle there. So number one is it is unsustainable. Most people won't just come out and say it. If I'm creating videos that are not free for me to create and it takes my time, which is a valuable resource, if I'm not making any money, I won't be able to continue to do it. And then you won't get any videos or content from me at all. So it has to be sustainable from a monetary standpoint, or it just doesn't add up. It's not like a charity. It's like, there's, there's a sales mechanism in here and more videos cannot be created. If there's no, there's no uh, exchange of money. It's just the fact of the way that this is set up, the way that YouTube set up. And then the other part is just sanity. So if I'm not enjoying creating certain content, then it does end up being uh, just a drag. And that's not what I'm trying to do. <laughs> All right. So the the cool part is I think I've reached a spot where I understand the content that I could publish, where it's worthwhile and people are consuming it, both the audio podcast on YouTube, some of the long form interviews, mashing up those long form interviews to even longer ones, and then cutting them up into smaller pieces. I think another maybe smart thing to do would be to have the small clips place together into a shorter, shorter clip video that's maybe 30 minutes long, but maybe it has, I don't know, 30 different segments in there from 30 different um, interviews. So like it just moves fast. So it's almost like watching, you know, one minute long videos, but it's all in one single mashup video that's shorter, not a five hour long mashup video, but say 20 to 30 minutes. It's something I haven't um, experimented with, but I think that could be a, a good way to have content that people would watch more. They, they would have better viewer retention. So, okay, let's move on. This episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic and their site speed accelerator, which helps your site load faster. It'll work for any CMS. So if you're using WordPress, of course, it'll work there. But if you're using other CMSs, it'll work too. And if you have an affiliate site or a B2B site, e-commerce, enterprise, whatever, it will work for any type of site. It doesn't really matter what you're publishing. It does some of the more complicated things that people struggle with when they're trying to speed up their site. Now, quick tip, get your site in good condition, right? You want to make sure your site is loading as fast as it can without adding these optimizations. I've made this point before, but I occasionally see 
I'll be honest, it's, it's on YouTube, all right? It's one of those morons on YouTube who leaves a comment and they're like, hey, I tried the site speed accelerator. It made my site load slower. It's like, all right. I mean, it was loading. It took like 10 seconds to load initially. So obviously you're doing something wrong already. So you need to have it optimized a little bit, all right? So we're talking about some of the basic stuff. Don't have you know, 38 plugins and don't have the the worst hosting, the cheapest free hosting that you could possibly get. You need to have a couple things in place. So the tool does work good. In fact, they guarantee a publisher score for the Google PageSpeed Insight of over 80 once you test it for a week and they have a free seven-day trial. I do want to point out that you should just check out Ezoic in general. So there's a link in the show notes here, but they have tons of awesome content. And one thing that I don't do a good job of just in general, and I'm not seeking to improve in this area, but I don't talk much about the current events of algorithm updates or I guess just current events in general. They cover that kind of stuff. They cover that kind of stuff a lot on their blog. They have an excellent set of writers and a content team that's able to bring out, um, you know, a lot of the stories that are covered elsewhere that I don't talk about at all. So I do encourage you to check out their blog and they have a YouTube channel as well. So again, they publish a lot of content that's perfect for, you know, folks like us, their topics that we're interested in. And I recently saw one on working with the search console and Google trends and a couple other areas like that. So it's, it's reasonably technical and they're very uh, straight to the point. They just give you the information. So typically the videos are pretty short value packed and tons of information, but they don't like ramble on like I do sometimes. So thanks to Ezoic really appreciate it. We will move on to the Q&A segment, which is sponsored by the Niche Website Builders, and they are a agency, and they help affiliate marketers like us. They are affiliate marketers themselves, and they have, uh, I think the two founders have, both of them have their own individual like six-figure-plus portfolios, which is pretty cool. And basically... They weren't happy with the services that they found out there in the world, so they created their own. They have a strong background in you know building teams, managing teams, so they were able to pull together their agency. I've been super happy with the results that I've seen. In fact, I will come back in a minute or two and share a couple details about the shotgun skyscraper campaign that they are running for me. Let's get to the question. First question is from AVX over on the YouTube side, some of the best low competition keywords like how to fix the backside of a Nissan model XYZ brake pads without a spreader kit, which is a mouthful. I don't even really know what all that means, but AVX further says, how do I find writers like that? Almost all of my keywords require super specific skills and knowledge to write. And I have a hard time finding those people on Upwork. Will a Facebook group be the best place to hire writers? Okay. If you are dealing with anything that's ultra specific like that, and I'll give you another few examples. If it's a homebrewing website, if you really need to have knowledge on the process, for example, and the ingredients and all those details, or maybe it's a videography kind of website where someone needs to have background knowledge on creating videos, using cameras, and you know all those really detailed areas. In fact, when you dive into the camera zone, you may end up with people that only use Sony's or they only use GoPros or something like that. And in this case, you know, maybe People only deal with, you know, Japanese made vehicles, or maybe they only know, you know, domestic U.S. built um, trucks or SUVs. All that to say, if you do run into those issues where you're in an ultra specific topic, number one, that is kind of a good thing because there's a barrier to entry. Any moron can't, I guess moron is my word for today. Let me use a different word here. 
any person can't just write content by doing a little research on that specific area. Their terminology and phrasing are going to be a little bit off. And sometimes the order of you know, the process or all those steps may be a little bit off. And a person that is knowledgeable who's actually thinking of replacing those brake pads, they may be able to tell like right away that the person who wrote it doesn't know what they're talking about. Further, even worse, if the person doesn't know and they're following the steps to do this, especially with brakes on a car, this is a dangerous situation, right? You don't want to give the wrong information <laughs> when you're dealing with that. You got to make sure that you're providing good information. I would probably not go to Upwork in that case. I know there are some paid job boards. I think there was one called like Pro Blogger dot com where you may have to pay to even post your job listing. So that's an area where sometimes you could find someone specifically qualified. And by the way, you can try to hire people on Upwork, but maybe you just need to put in right up front, you need to be a mechanic for this area, or you need to be very knowledgeable in the topic area, or it's not going to work out. The other place, like you said, Facebook groups. Yeah. If you go to a Facebook group in that specific topic area, I think you have a much better chance finding people that can write for you. I would definitely touch base with the administrator or some of the moderators in the Facebook group so you don't get kicked out for any sort of reason violating the rules. Usually a Facebook group will have the rules that they that they want everyone to adhere to. If you're trying to hire people, typically, you know, you're trying to pay money, you're not trying to sell anything. Most Facebook groups don't have an issue with that, but definitely check with the administrators. Another great place is forums. So depending on the topic, the folks may be hanging out in Facebook groups, but some some groups are in forums. Maybe they're in some other area of the internet, Reddit perhaps. I'm not really sure. The point is you can find them. If there's a, a big enough uh, community of them, you'll be able to find it. One uh, website that I found the other day, we're not going to get an RV anytime soon, but a couple of my friends have them and I was just sort of curious what I could haul with my truck. So I was doing some research, like how much can an F-150 tow, um, trying to learn more information about like that technical aspect to make sure that you're safe when you're, you're hauling a, a trailer back there. And well, I, f I found some pretty cool websites. There are uh, several e-commerce sites where it's kind of set up like a forum so people can ask questions, very specific, kind of like what you're getting at AVX. And I found a post, F-150, you know, 4.6 liter, uh, regular cab, all, all the details, like a specific question for my specific truck. And there was an answer that fit for me. So the, the point being, like you can go and find these, experts out there. Now, this was actually an e-commerce site and they were selling trailer and towing and, and different RV related materials and products. So they were answering questions knowing that it helped people make a decision. In fact, I was like, oh yeah, the, those are a couple little items that I need. If anybody's wondering, my truck can actually haul anything um, bigger, much bigger than what we would, we would want. I think it was like 5,000 uh, pounds there. And then I, I don't have like a sway bar system or anything like that. So it was just like 5,000 pounds, which is way bigger than what we would want to uh, try to haul around anyway. We want something a little more nimble. So we'll probably try and rent one at some point here and, and go up into the mountains. I think that'll be pretty fun. Next question is from, we'll just call him Som, Somnath, Somnath. Okay. A lot of, a lot of consonants in there. I don't think I'll be able to pronounce it properly. This question is, do you have any suggestions on press release links? Does it work for KGR based sites? So I'm typically not someone who gets press releases often. I know some of my friends, some of my peers, as a matter of course, when they launch a site, usually they'll do some social media activity and then they'll do a press release and do some other guest posting and publish a lot of content. I haven't done 
very many press releases. I've tested about two or three. And typically when I'm, when I'm doing something, I'm doing it on a real site. So I don't have a clean experiment. I don't have a clean test going on. So when I've used the press releases, I was testing out the Hoth syndication package and I ended up getting on a lot of different websites, a great domain authority, great domain rating, just in general. A lot of them were do follow as well. However, these are links that typically are not going to bring in any traffic. So I think their value is a little bit low, but from a, you know, referring domain diversity standpoint, you end up getting a lot of links from a lot of different kind of websites. Unfortunately, I think a lot of them end up being, I know this is not the case for all press releases, but a lot of them were sort of the community section of a lot of different websites. They may be very, you know, reputable websites, but it's not from an impressive area on the website. That said, it may not be a bad idea to have that link diversity and just generally um, have some links pointing to your site, especially early on. They didn't ask this question, but some people do say, hey, it's totally unnatural for a brand new website to get backlinks. And I think I've ranted on that in the past, but generally it is 100% normal for a new website to get backlinks because if they are skilled marketers, they are promoting their site and they're reaching out to their friends to let, to let them know about it, they may get some links through that or via press releases. Now, yeah, this can be done in a poor way. If you go out there and you buy a bunch of low quality links from a poor provider, then you may run into issues and that would be not very normal. But even if you don't have much content, I mean, I know for Niche Site Project, when I launched it, I think I maybe had three or four posts, but I was already getting backlinks coming in within the first week when I published that content because I planned it out ahead of time. And I wasn't a skilled marketer back then, but I knew, hey, I want, I want to get some people to pay attention. So immediately I was trying to let people know that were in my niche, other people that were uh, potentially going to work with me in the future and that I've later become friends with. Okay. Last question here. This is from bomb 2060. Should we play catch up when I'm getting started with a new site? As in, should I have evergreen articles that all the similar and competitor sites have? So the best X, Y, Z for a certain use or how to do X, Y, Z and that sort of thing. It is up to you. I usually will have um, a couple of those kind of articles, but I'll usually add them later. Typically, I'm trying to publish the low competition, long tail keywords up front, and then later, maybe I will catch up. In fact, if you go look at Niche Site Project, there are some basic topics that everyone seems to have in this marketing area that I don't have because they're too competitive. And if, you know what, I'm just not really interested in having that content. Maybe at this point, now that I'm seven years in, maybe I should have some of that more general content, but I still am publishing more obscure topics for people that are like deep into the weeds, which is kind of interesting. I mean, you heard me talking about some of the issues that I have with YouTube and I mean, YouTube comments are you know, generally like all internet comments, you know, some of them may be valuable, but there's a handful of just maniacs out there that are, <laughs> that I shouldn't pay too much attention to, which is one thing that I do try to remember. Like, I mean, my channel isn't as big as, you know, folks that get thousands of comments per day, but I just need to walk away from the comments. I know there's huge value in understanding like the feedback that you're receiving, but at the same time, if I let some of this stuff get in my head, it's just a, a downward spiral. Like there's no good outcome. And the fact is, as I mentioned, I'm monetizing my, my brand by selling courses and doing some coaching. I'm also selling a few affiliate products here and there. So the fact is a lot of people on YouTube do consume just content for free. They're not action takers. And if I'm trying to cater to people that eventually are not going to 
you know, not going to work with me in any capacity, then it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I can't be a total jerk, but at the same time, I have to make sure like I'm not going exceedingly out of my way to help someone who is not even going to take my advice. And I learned this lesson the hard way multiple times as I got started because, you know, I was not trying to, you know, scale at the beginning. You hear that advice. Don't try and scale at the beginning. Spend time talking to your audience, like understand their problems, what they need. You'll learn a lot about things that are troubling folks. And then you'll also just, I mean, really have a deeper connection. So I would hop on a call. I would do an hour long Skype call. I would walk through, show people exactly what I would do if I owned their site. And I would give them very specific advice and they would promptly not follow it. And this was all for free, by the way. So they would just not do anything and I'd check in with them later. Maybe they would email me again. Hey, Doug, I really need some help in this area. And I would check with them. Hey, did you do the three items that I mentioned to you before? It's like, no, actually, I've, I've decided to do something different. And I saw this one person who was uh, saying that you should whatever, only use H3 tags and not H2 tags. And then they, um, they did that instead and they didn't, they didn't follow any of my advice. So I wasted time. They didn't listen to me and they didn't value, um, (laughs) they didn't value the brilliant advice that I was giving them. So anyway, I learned that people, people will actually follow some of the suggestions that you give them if they pay for it. So all, all that to say is that I understand the value of YouTube. I'm not sure how to wield that power all the time. I try to do my best and I try to do it in a way that is sustainable for me so that I can continue doing it both from an enjoyment standpoint and from the monetary standpoint because it's not free to do and, and create this sort of content. So let's come back to the niche website builders and this campaign that they are running for me. I have the budget shotgun skyscraper campaign. You can save 10%, by the way, if you use this service, but you have to use my coupon code. There's a link in the description. So they started in, I think like uh, July 20th or so. It takes about a month for them to write the content and publish it. It's a great piece of content and it is, you know, skyscraper in nature. It covers a broad range of topics, but it's not super detailed in any one of those topics. The cool thing is, you know, we're already getting links to it, but because it is a piece of content that is wide in scope, but it doesn't go deep, we're going to be able to write content that does go deep into the various topics from the skyscraper piece. We can internally link to those deep topics that are a lot more narrow. Essentially, we're setting it up at the beginning. Niche website builders are setting this up at the beginning so that it is strategically able to link throughout the site. You'd spread that, uh, quote, link juice throughout the site without being contrived or putting links where they don't make sense. They send out 1,200 um, emails over the course of, you know, I, I think a month or so. So the, this particular package, they send out 1,200 emails and we were able to land eight links, the average Domain rating is reported by HREFs is 68.125. So pretty awesome results. A handful of them um, do require like an admin placement fee. Niche Website Builders doesn't ask me for anything. It is a flat fee. Um, at this point in time, I believe it's $800 for uh, yeah per month for this specific campaign. And if you get the higher tier, they'll send out more emails and they'll publish the skyscraper pieces more often. They don't ask for any of the placement fees is built into the budget of your campaign. I think there may be a couple more of these uh, backlinks that'll come through. There's, I think, uh, another 10 or so where maybe the link will land and they have... Um, A couple, it looks like three more that are a high likelihood that they will be published. And the cool part is they're sending out more emails. So they sent out, you know, 1,200 in the first month 
when they started sending emails and I'll back into the time frame a little bit here because I said that in a confusing way and they'll send out more emails in subsequent months before they publish the next uh, skyscraper post. So let me tell you the timeline. So month one, they work on the piece of content. Month two, they warm up the email address to send out the emails to the world, right? This is a shotgun technique. So they're spraying and praying. They're spraying all these emails out there and they're sending them out in, in large volume. So they have to warm up the email account so that they're able to send the emails without getting like blacklisted. It's roughly, they have to build up to it, but it's roughly like a hundred emails per day. Again, they have to build it up over the course of um, a month or so. After the end of the second month is when I had the majority of these links. And I believe I'm going to get more links over time. So sometimes follow-up emails need to be sent. Sometimes people go on vacation, they disappear, all that kind of stuff. And the, the cool part is as more emails are sent out, more links will come to this specific page. Um, one other cool thing is I've been experimenting with Haro. So I talked about Kyle, who sent the email uh, months ago. Uh, shout out to Kyle. Appreciate it. I know you're a listener of the show. And he just said, hey, Haro is working pretty great for me. He shared some epic results. And then I talked to Anthony, who was doing pretty well with his site. He bought a, a done-for-you site, added content, started doing Haro link building, and was able to get to six $700 per month within six months, which was pretty great. Additionally, this was during the quarantine and, and pandemic timeframe, which also corresponded with the commission rate change for Amazon. So Anthony was, you know, growing income, growing his revenue on this new site during a time where, you know, roughly <laughs> his commissions were cut in half. So he potentially would be at twice that if, we didn't have the commission rate change. Okay, so Haro has been very cool. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is I'll probably be able to do Haro link building campaigns using um, the skyscraper piece, right? So with Haro, there's reporters out there that are requesting sources. They want information from experts. And if you reply back, you may be able to get a link to your homepage, is very common. That's probably the most common way. But sometimes if it's relevant, you can get a link back to specific posts. So there's a few other ways that you can use Haro, which is cool. This is partially a sales pitch. I'll let you know that. I, I have a course coming out soon at the end of October on Haro. I've tested it some. I've worked with some other folks that have been able to land some excellent links as well. And I believe you know, people talk about white hat links and white hat guest posting. And, and you can, you know, even with a skyscraper technique here, there are link placement fees. Uh, many of them are not very expensive and it's all within the budget of what niche website builders is doing here. So it's all included. It's just a flat fee. But the fact is, um, you know, paying for those links is technically kind of against the rules. Like if you, if you go check it out, I mean, we try to call it an admin fee, but essentially it's a link and a fee is being, you know, exchanged with this Haro link building. These are new sources. These are bigger websites. These are, you know, Alexa 1 million websites out there. So with that, it's definitely a little higher, higher grade, a higher quality, and there's no money, uh, changing hands here. This is white hat. This is, you know, someone providing information, a source is using that information, they're citing it properly. So Haro is pretty fantastic. And I think I've been able to scale it in a way that is pretty amazing, you know, with the help and advice from um, some other folk, because I've, I've chatted and tried to understand exactly what's going on. And I've been dabbling with it for a few months myself. So course is coming out. It'll be launching. This is the first time I'm officially mentioning it. So I'll pull up the calendar. It's going to be launching October 19th through the 23rd. It's pretty awesome. Very excited about it, putting the finishing touches together right now. So 
that's weird. I put a I put my little ad inside the sponsored section, the sponsored Q and A by Niche Website Builders, and highly encourage you to check out some of the work that they're doing out there. They have a couple services. They do content. They build done for you sites. I haven't seen or looked at any of the done for you sites, but they are publishing 20,000 words of content for me each month. And they're doing this skyscraper campaign, which I'm super impressed with so far. You can get 10% off the link building um, skyscraper campaign over there using my coupon codes. You can just follow the link in the show notes here and you'll be able to get those. I think you have to enter your email address and then they, they email you the codes. Or if you're getting content or a done-for-you site, you get an additional 10% of uh, content, which is kind of cool. So thanks to Niche Website Builders. Didn't digress very much and ramble on, so I'll give you a little, a little story. I've been going to physical therapy because I have an Achilles issue, which I was thinking the other day, it hit me. It's been a couple years since I've had this sort of uh, acute pain, but it would taper off and I've... I think the longest run that I've done in the last couple of years is maybe like nine miles, but I love that sort of middle distance where it's, you know, just a little bit over an hour or so of running and around two hours, uh, total or sorry, not total, but max. I, I love that sort of a half marathon length, but I haven't done a half marathon in three years. It was 2017. The last one that I ran, they're fun. I really love that distance. I guess it's long enough for you to sort of uh, space out a little bit. And it's like a long meditation. A lot of times I'll, I'll run with no headphones, nothing. It's just uh, quiet, just quiet. I, I do enjoy the quiet. And there's mountains around here so you can see the mountains. But I haven't been able to run very much because this Achilles issue is uh, has been bogging me down. Apparently it got bad enough where... It was kind of bugging me when I was just walking Georgie. So not always, but maybe once a week or so, it would just really get sore. And I eventually went to the doctor, been doing physical therapy, and I think I'm in better shape now. So after about six weeks of doing some strength training, mainly in the glute and hamstring area, um, I I think my form's a little bit better. So I ran over the last you know, 10 days or so, I think I've done four runs, usually between a mile and two miles. And it's a a run walk situation going very slow, but at least I'm running a little bit and it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And I mean, honestly, I don't mind walking. Um, and it'd be better if I can essentially hike. So walk uphill a little bit and, and be in a little more of a strenuous kind of walk, but some of the hiking that we did in Leadville, I mean, it just really beats you up at the high altitude. So you're walking at a pretty slow pace, but my heart rate was, you know, 140, 150 or so, cause you're going uphill and the air is pretty darn thin. So anyway, I'm looking forward to getting back, doing some running, hopefully. I mean, I know I'm going to have to go really slow upping the mileage and it'll be a very, very painstaking process. One of those deals where this week I can go, you know, one, one to two miles. I'm not going to be running over two miles basically, or 20 minutes roughly. And I, I can only increase it by, you know, five to 10% per week. So very slow. Of course you get the compound effect and in uh, six months, perhaps that'll be a much longer distance and I can do those, that middle distance run, maybe even a half marathon if they have, have them going on anytime soon. So I think that's my story for today. If you have questions out there, please send me an email feedback at doug.show and you can sign up for the email list. If you haven't, nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you uh, stuff. I'll send you some uh, templates and point you in the direction of other interesting content. So have a great day out there. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you 
you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff, and uh, you're listening to it, and I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.